With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, the Summer Slam Bam uh, with uh, George Shire is with us. Uh, again, uh, uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard, the great uh, Texas outlaw singer, is uh, going to be at the Dakota on Sunday, and we're going to be talking to him about 5 o'clock. Uh, until then, we got George Shire. George, I'm uh, very excited about your tag team book coming up. Uh, what is the title of that? There is no title yet. yet? That's, You're still that's, working on that, the title. It's, it's a tag team book. And, you know, the thing is, Pat, uh, it would be so nice if you could just put these things out and they just happened like right away. Yes. Um, I've been working on this one now for about a good year or better. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm my own worst enemy because... You find stuff out. Because I, I keep digging up more stuff or I keep <laughs> wanting to say something different and add to it. And, mm-hmm. and I just, I've been telling people that it should have been done in April. So yeah. I, I'm two months, three months past due on it, but... I've only myself to blame. However, when this book is done, um, I personally already feel, and it's not published, I think it's better than my Minnesota book and, mm-hmm. and anything the, else. Uh, I feel the, that the good original, about it. The, uh, the, the, the golden age. Yeah. I, I just, I really love it, and part of it is I love tag teams and all the things well, that they brought to wrestling. I've said it to you 50 times. The, the storylines available in tag team were so much greater than... And just think, I mean, there's great stories in singles wrestling, too. But the tag teams, as you, you multiply everything by two, right? Exactly. Or four. And, and you know what? They had such a great science to it back mm-hmm. in that era when they would have two out of three fall matches. Yes. So you could have the good guys win a fall, the bad guys win a fall, and then in the third yeah. fall, you know, all chaos and pandemonium breaks loose. The tag teams... Always were two out of three falls, or definitely they? pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And and there's how often would we let uh, the uh, the uh, superior forces win the first two? Oh, sometimes you would. Not not you know, too often. The thing about the tag team with that two out of three falls is there. There's where your story could be told. Yes. Because what they would do is the first fall, the good guy team could be beat. Yes. One of, one of the now guys are up beat. against it, baby. And now they now they're up against the wall. And then they have like this two minute rest period before the next fall yes. starts. Well, while they're getting rested, the bad guys, one of them's detaining the referee while the other guy's beating you the know, crap out of him, making him so he can't come back and, and be ready. Go attack them, and, and there's just a storyline. And while his partner's trying to uh, uh, tell the referee, the referee is, you know, ignoring the fact that the two of them are beating <laughs> up on his partner. And, and, uh, and Marty Miller's still with us, right? No, Marty passed away. Oh, no. Yeah, Marty passed away quite a few years ago. The greatest. The two- most incompetent, competent <laughs> referee ever. <laughs> He was so good at what he did. Oh, he was. He was, and he had the luck. 
He had the look of a doofus. Too. Oh yeah, like, oh yeah. He was how always. How did this guy? How could they have Marty Miller doing the matches? Important as this one. Always putting his hands up, like looking at the crowd, like what, what? <laughs> he missed the brass knuckles and the chair shots and everything. You know. No, Marty was great. Yes. Who we got here? Uh, this sir? is how powerful this segment is. Jeff from Texas has decided to oh, weigh in. Oh, okay. Jeff, okay, what's so up? This is circa 1981, the fall of 81. It's pheasant season. Okay. And so us seniors are throwing a kegger out at some guy's farm that's halfway between Ortonville, Minnesota, which is right on the border of South Dakota, and yes. Appleton. Yes. Right? And so we're in the pole barn, you know, drinking our plastic cups of warm, stale, crappy beer, <laughs> and in wash. In walks Jesse the Body Ventura <laughs> and some other guy. Probably and, Adrian Adonis, I mean, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I think I would have remembered if it was Adrian, but they were out there pheasant hunting on one of the kids' dad's land, and the kid didn't know who he was. They're like, are you kidding me? Like, everybody was standing around with their jaws dropping. Some of us probably peed ourselves, but we didn't know what to do. And I think I got an autograph on a napkin like everybody else, but of course I can't find it, not knowing that he was mm-hmm. going to become the governor. But a quick question. did Was there ever a push in Minnesota to get like a superstation like, like Atlanta got? Because that's, I mean, like wrestling was the anchor almost for the TBS Superstation, them and the Braves. I didn't know if they were trying to did something with that. I don't. Uh, I, I'm not aware of that. I guess WGN and WTBS kind of staked out that land right apart, and nobody else. Uh, by the time people figured out what a great bonanza it was, it was too late, probably. Well, and the thing too about the um, TBS station, the Superstation, that was kind of the first time that fans in another part of the country were having a view of another territory's wrestling. Uh-huh. Kind of showed you that, you know, and if we had a guy like Jim Brunzel who did go down to work in Atlanta where the Superstation was, all of a sudden you're seeing Jim Brunzel on that station. Yeah. And so I don't think there was really ever any push for it or any thought for us. Part of the reason was is that the promotions in that territorial day, they wanted to keep their territory exclusive just to their territory. So they didn't want anybody else to see it. Mm-hmm. Because if you couldn't buy a ticket for it, and of course there was no pay-per-view, if you couldn't buy a ticket to come to the card, what good was it to show you the match? That was their that was their rationale. Uh, George Shire's with us, 651-646-8255. We were talking about the uh, tag team book. How would you rate them in the AWA era from what I, even though it was NWA for a while, mid-50s to mid-80s? Greatest tag team of all time in that 30 years. You have to understand that it's a personal opinion. Okay. okay. Any any opinion is yes. just that. Oh, yeah. I'm, However, not, I'm not saying having, this is a declaration having, of granite. Having seen them all, I've learned to bring it down to five. Mm-hmm. Okay? And not put them in any particular order. So if I picked five. Okay. First and foremost... The Kalmakoffs, Ivan and Carol, oh, together we ten years. Them, man. Together ten years. What was her real name? Ivan uh, Carol Kalmakoff was uh, uh, Carol, and it's a long Polish name. Okay. I cannot pronounce okay. it. But as Bobby Heenan would say, the last name looks like an eye chart. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Ivan Kalmakoff was a simple name. Ed Bruce. Okay. From Detroit. Okay. But they were the they were the hated Russians, yeah. and they were together ten years. 
And they were not only big oh, here. I, I saw them a few times. They we were not only big not here. Like them. Yep. They were not only big here. They were big in Buffalo, in Canada, in the southeast, southwest. I mean, they just ten years. They were solid, so mm-hmm. they're good. I'd put Crusher and Bruiser in there. Yeah. You, you can't make a tag team list of just local tag teams and not yeah. put them on. Larry Hennig and Harley Race. Oh yeah, man, they were something. Uh, definitely after that, I'd probably go with Bachwinkle and Stevens. Mm-hmm. Because two different styles, but work so good together. And then I'm, I always throw a babyface team in there. I saw so many babyface teams over the years. I'd put the high flyers. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because they're friends of mine. I'm saying that because they had it down to a science on how to do it <laughs> and get sympathy and make the fans want to see them and root for them. So I'd, I'd be my five. Okay. Uh, well, should we take one call? All right. Who do we got here? Uh, let's do Mark on line one. Mark, what's up? A little story about you just said take team partners, uh, Heenan and Bockwinkle. Back in the 80s, I was uh, doing some electrical work, wiring apartment building on a golf course, and those two morons were out golfing with their trunks on and shoes and had the hottest set of Oriental twins as their caddy. <laughs> well, congratulations to them, I would say. Thank you very much. Who else we got here? Uh, we don't want to get any. Uh, this is Dan. And we got Oriental. We don't get to hear that too often anymore. No, we don't. That's good. That's good. Threw me a curveball. Although Thanks, my Mark. friend Wong always says, don't call me an Asian. I'm an Oriental. That's right. All right. What do you, what do you have? What do, who this do we is have? Uh, Dan. Dan, what's up? Okay, Patrick, I had uh, I heard George on the air with you a couple of years ago, and I was fortunate enough to win, George, a copy of your book, The Golden Age, and I'm telling you, it's fabulous. I read it. My dad read it. My <laughs> brothers read it. He used to take us to the matches when we were kids. My two cousins read it. My brother-in-law, everybody loves well, that buy book. More than I was going to say, so they all read one free book. <laughs> I, I put out several copies. You could buy another one. Thank you for, thank you for doing that. No, do, you, do, you no, have a, do you have a follow-up question? Oh, well, well, it's it's not a follow-up question. It's a follow-up opinion. It was uh, Crusher and Bruiser, by all means, were the all-time greatest uh, tag team. Marty, I took a thousand stitches to the head, Marty. I lost a gallon of blood, and now I'm going to murder the bums, Marty. <laughs> you sound like a guy about my... You were younger than me, but sitting around the campfire crushing a beer can against oh, your forehead in honor of the Crusher. A lot of guys did It's that. amazing what I bring out in people. <laughs> yes. All righty, we will take a break. 651-646-8255. If you have a question for George, uh, call us right now. All right, I guess people are home from work looking at the uh, phones here, uh, Reavers. Man, George knows how to light up the phone lines, baby. Give me the first guy you got. Uh, We got Jeff. Jeff's on line one. Jeff, what's up? Uh, quick question. Uh, did Jesse Ventura ever own a gym in North Minneapolis called Ventura's Gym? And did uh, the Road Warriors ever come out of there? No. That, no. I'm like 44th and Penn North. No, Jesse didn't own a gym. Um, Eddie Sharkey owned a gym. And Eddie Sharkey trained the Road Warriors. And he also trained Jesse Ventura for their pro wrestling careers. The Road Warriors were a couple of bouncers and pretty much big guys, as you recall, and Eddie 
decided they could be wrestlers or at least work as wrestlers. Hard to keep them out of your top five. They were pretty damn popular, right? Well, they were, but they yeah. were they were after mar- after eighty five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, after eighty five. Oh, hey, I don't I don't knock the Road Warriors at all. I mean, they they changed tag team wrestling in what way? In the way that when they came in in eighty four to work for the AWA, they were roughly a year or so in the business. And they were getting a huge push. They earned it in the way that they would come into the ring and they would not sell a single move to an opponent. I mean, they were just going to overpower you, okay. take care of you. They wanted to show dominance. And no matter what the opponent would do, and a lot of the wrestlers didn't want to work with them. Because they just pounded a good on exa- them. A good example was, and this is where I sort of lost a little respect for them, was you got to remember in 1984, the Crusher and the Bruiser are in their twilight years. Yes. And... Even though they were both 55-plus or whatever they were at the time, probably shouldn't have been in the ring, but they could still put butts in the seats. It Mm -hmm. was name value. And the Crusher and the Bruiser, you know, they were just phenomenal. Yeah, They both asked the Road Warriors, do not slam them during a match. Yeah. Behind the scenes before the match, don't slam me. Too hard on your own body. What did they do? They came in and they picked them both up and slammed them. It's like, okay. I, I don't have. That's the kind of wrestler you lose respect for real mm-hmm. quick because they were playing by different rules. But they were popular. Mm-hmm. They put butts in the seats, and they won. You know, fans will tell you, well, they won every title there was. Okay, that's great. Uh, but they were they they were different tag team. Okay, what do we got there? Uh, we got Paul. Paul, what's up? Paul. Hello, we Paul. Lost Paul. Right. Let's go to the next one. Let's Somebody go to must this. ask the same question. Let's go to Steve. Steve, what's, what's up? up? Hey, Patrick and George, huge fan of uh, both of you and pro wrestling, calling from Pepin, Wisconsin. Uh, you were talking about the Kalmakaws earlier. George, do you remember the great rivalry between the Kalmakaws in the early 60s and two guys by the name of Doug Gilbert and Dick Steinborn? I sure do. Um, and the Kalmakoffs, uh Gilbert and Steinborn, were actually created as a tag team to put the Kelmakoffs over a little bit later uh, after their after Gilbert and Steinborn teamed up. Doug Gilbert had been here for about two years, and they brought in Dick Steinborn to team with them. Gilbert, uh, they sound like good guys. Gilbert and Steinborn <laughs> were good guys. Gilbert was a high flyer. He, oh, okay. he could do the black flip, the back flips, and okay. you know all the acrobatic yeah. moves. Dick Steinborn was more the surface transportation. Okay, and uh, <laughs> they they called themselves Mister High and Mister Low. Oh, okay. They, so the, the, before the high flyers, right? We had high definitely and low. before the high flyers. Yeah. And what they did was uh, they they put them together. Vern had the champions at the time were. Art and Stan Nielsen. And Vern huh. didn't have control of the Nielsens because they were actually working for the WWA group in Indianapolis. So Vern was sharing champions. Okay. But he couldn't get them to come in. So Vern wanted to eventually get his title back, so to speak. Yeah. So he put Doug Gilbert with Dick Steinborn, great babyface team, put them together in October of 62. And December of 62, they beat... The Nielsen's for the championship, Gilbert and Steinborn. Down here or in Minneapolis? In Minneapolis. Okay. And then a week later, a week and a half later, they turned around and lost it to the Kelmakoffs. So Vern wanted the Kelmakoffs. He wanted the Kelmakoffs, and this was a way to put them over because after the Gilbert and Steinborn team was so popular, 
then they had good opponents for the Kelmacos for the next four or five months. Oh, okay. It worked Beautiful. out really good. But they, yeah. they were they were put together to put the Kelmacos. How long did over. the Kelmacos hold the title around here? Then, then they held it until nineteen sixty four when they lost it to the Crusher and the Bruiser in August of sixty four. And then they left town and went somewhere else, huh? Probably. Uh, well, they separated for a while and then Carol Kelmakoff passed away. Oh. And then in 65, or 64, we ended up getting Igor coming in with Ivan. Mighty Igor. Okay. And Kelmakoff, Ivan became a good guy. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, what do we have there, Chris? Well, let's go to Nikki. Nikki. Um, hey, George. Uh, question. Uh, recall a tag team, I think, late 60s, early 70s. Uh, one guy was local, uh, Brett Baskin, and his partner was Billy Red Lion. If I remember right, I think Billy was uh, featured from somewhere in Toronto or somewhere in Canada. Don't worry, George. I'll have the answer for you. And Thank you. what kind of history do you have with with uh, that tag team, uh, uh, Red and uh, Billy? Red Bastine, you know, was a local guy from Minneapolis, and when he came back here in 1968, they hooked him up with Billy Red Lions. Part of the hooking up was the fact they both had red hair. Okay, and Billy and, Red Lion was a Native American, was he? No, Billy, no. Red, Billy Red Lions, the red oh, was from red his was hair. Oh, was a nickname, okay. Uh, Billy Lions was his wrestling name. But and, hadn't Red been with Jimmy Morgan earlier or not? No, no, they had no. never teamed, but they teamed up here. And uh, Vern put them together. Billy Red Lions was billed out of Ontario, Canada. Fans did not know it at the time, but he was the real-life brother-in-law of Dr. X. Oh, really? And the, Billy the would be the man. good guy and Dr. X the bad guy, and they wrestled against each other all the time. <laughs> Brothers-in-law? Brothers-in-law. So, you know, it must have been fun at turkey dinner with those two and, guys. But uh, Red Bastine's daughter is Jim Morgan's wife, right? Or Jimmy Morgan's wife, right? Uh, yes, yes, yeah. 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 And Red and Billy, uh, let's just talk about them for a minute. They were a team here for three years. It might have been Red's sister and Jim Morgan. Red's sister. And Jim Morgan. Were Jim Morgan, mother. yeah. yeah. And uh, when they were together here, they a lot of people could say, well, they should have gotten the tag team title because they were that good. They could They could draw... But they drew as challengers because Vern had the Vashon brothers at the time as his heel champions. Jim's wife was Olive, right? Wasn't it Olive? Was it Olive? Yes, there was I an Olive. It, I think it was Olive, and I always said she's going straight to heaven because she raised six boys. <laughs> have like three wrestlers and three boxers. Wow. You know, and they were the toughest family of all time. And uh, at least... One of them was an Olympian wrestler and maybe well, two. And Red was the only one that ever got into the pro wrestling ranks. Yeah. I thought J Jimmy never uh, Jimmy wrestled. never did. Never no. did. No. Great, great guy. Great family. All right. We'll be back uh, with George Shire. The Summer Slam Bam is doing pretty well, I'd say. All right. The uh, Summer Slam Bam with uh, George Shire. Uh, we have a Twitter, another Twitter uh, question. Yeah. Uh, Josh wanted to know, George, can you tell us a little bit about Ollie and Arn Anderson? Two names I'm not familiar with. I think with. the last time you were on, we talked about them and how big they They were big for a while, right? Yeah. It's Ole, O-L-E. Oh, I'm sorry. Ole. No, that's fine. Yeah. It's Ole Anderson and Arn Anderson, A-R-N Anderson. 
Ole was uh, a local guy trained by Vern in 1967. His name was Alan Rogowski. Okay. <laughs> from, from Minnesota here. He looked like a Swede, so he went and, to Swede. Where well, I'm... you know, here, here's the story on Ole. <laughs> when, when he worked for Vern initially, he was called Al the Rock Rogowski. Okay. So before there was The Rock today, okay. we, we had another rock. rock. Okay. He was Rock, and they even called him The Rock. Okay. A lot of times leaving the Rogowski off. He worked here for a few months, getting his initial training after leaving uh, Vern's camp. But when he initially broke into the business, Vern and Wally Carbo billed him as being a nephew or sometimes a cousin of the Crusher and the Bruiser. Okay. Because he resembled them. If you saw a young Rock Rogowski. Then he left here and went (laughs) to the South where he teamed up with Gene Anderson, who was a local St. Paul or South St. Paul guy. That had helped Vern train wrestlers in the 60s. And Gene had been teaming with his brother, Lars Anderson, mm-hmm. who was another Ganya trainee by the name of Larry Hainimi. Oh, yes, I remember him. Lars and Gene were together as the Anderson brothers, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. And Lars wanted to come back to Minneapolis. So Ole went down, or he became Ole when he was down there. Gene and Ole, they became the new wrecking crew. And he pretty much stayed with Gene the rest of his career down there, became a promoter and a booker. But later in his career, he was uh, uh, teamed up with, sometimes again, it was billed as his nephew. <laughs> Another time, they were actually billed as brothers, but it was Arn Anderson, who was younger, and Arn was actually a local boy in Minneapolis, too, by the name of Marty and, Lundy. But Lars was the rock, originally. No, Ole was the rock. Ole was the rock. Who's on first, what's yeah, on second? Right. And then, then did he ever, he came back as Ole? He, he came what back What do we here? do when we've already sold the guy as the rock, and two years later we're selling him as somebody <laughs> well, else? he never came back here as the rock. Oh. Okay. He, and he never no, came no, back here I mean, as Ole. Oh, he never came no, back. No. Okay. He, uh, he, did, he did make one appearance on a card here in the... I think it was 1970, and he was home visiting his family, and he was on the card as Rock Rogowski. Okay, so he but came But he back. was Ole down there. Okay. So that's the story of Arn and Ole. Okay. They, none of them were related. They mm. were just had a good gimmick. Who we got? Let's go to Buck. Buck, what's up? George. Yes. Uh, uh, talk about tag teams, and my earliest memory of bad guys is Tiny Mills and Crusher Kowalski. What was we we know about the Crusher? What about what's tiny story? And uh, they were so evil. I don't remember who their you know major opponents were. Okay, uh, well, who, uh, who were some of the guys they wrestled? All right. Well, Tiny Mills had been around the Twin City market, the old Minneapolis Wrestling Club in the 50s. He was a huge name. He was much older than Stan, right? But he 10, was 10, 10, years. Year, 10 years older okay. than Stan. And Tiny had gotten into the business through his brother, and this is a real brother now, Al, his right. Albert, Al, yeah. Albert Mills. Well, their real last name was uh, Millstetter. Okay. But uh, Mills was their wrestling name. And Tiny got into the business around the time that Al was getting ready to hang it up. So in the about 1958, Tiny hooked up with local product Stan Kowalski, Crusher with a K, yeah. Kowalski. 
Yeah, Stan and, told that story that basically Al out in Hawaii or something. Al says, "I'm done." And, yep. then, and, and Stan and replaced them. Stan replaced them. And Tiny and Stan, though they were ten years apart, they resembled each other. In that era, you got to remember fifty eight, fifty nine, sixty, sixty one. They had long hair. Yeah, and their boots. biggest they had the boots, big boots. And the, the the biggest gimmick they had was they would allegedly rub grease from their hair into their opponent's eyes when the referee wasn't looking. <laughs> yes, right. That's and the, they had and the then their hair. opponent couldn't see. Looked uh, like Mil- a bunch of hippies. Mills and Kowalski had traveled to New Zealand, Australia, and Japan, and then they came back to uh, Minneapolis, and they were the first recognized AWA World Tag Team Champions in August of 1960. Pat, that could have been your move. Your nickname was Grease. Grease, I could have done that. Their their biggest move or their biggest tag team that they feuded with then were Hard-Boiled Haggerty and Len Montana, both of which became actors. So we had bad guys against bad guys. Yeah, bad guys against bad guys. Uh Lenny Montana, fans will remember, was in the Godfather movie. Our movies and uh, Hard Boiled Haggerty, of course, many TV shows and several movies. And then they also had great feud with Vern Gagne, Joe Scarpello, Wilbur Snyder, Jim Haiti, guys like that. Did they All have right. a name for the move where they'd put the hair in the guy's no, eyes? Was no, there a name no, for that it? That was illegal. They, they, and they, never, no, no, they, they claim they never did it. They oh. claim they never did it. It was usually <laughs> when the referee didn't see it. Yes. And uh, whoever was a precursor to Marty Miller, Marty wasn't around then, I don't think. No, Marty was wasn't. We had Joe Snyder back in well, those he, days. He was bad, And too. Joe Snyder was as blind and as inefficient <laughs> as, as Marty Miller Marty, was. I always said the, the AWA had a terrible officiating. You had, to have, you had to have a good, bad referee. <laughs> yes, that's right. All right, we'll be back. This is the uh, Summer Slam Bam with George Shire. Now, when you and the wife go out to dinner with another couple, do you avoid wrestling as a topic? Well, we do if they're not into wrestling. <laughs> but but it doesn't take long if they're a wrestling fan that somehow it can become the topic of conversation. Well, would Mrs. Shire rather talk baseball than wrestling? I think she would rather talk baseball, probably. Yes. <laughs> but uh, No, I don't bring up wrestling. You know, it's it's very interesting, Pat. I do not bring up wrestling unless someone brings it up to me. <laughs> and then we can talk for years. Yes, you can. What do we have? Marcus. Marcus. Hello, Marcus. Hi. Um, in the past few years, I've uh, become a big fan of uh, both past and present Japanese wrestling. And I'm wondering if back in the day any... Uh, Japanese legends came through here. Oh, heavens, yes. yes. We hated two of them, I can guarantee you. Mitsu Arakawa and Kinji Shibuya. Well, the the interesting thing is to answer Marcus's question. Um, in the territory days, we had wrestlers that would go to Japan for six- and eight-week tours. Yes. And any American wrestler that went over to Japan for these tournaments and these tours, they were generally the... Bad guys. Yes. The Americans were the bad guys. So Vern Gagne would go over there and be a bad guy. So Vern would go over there and be booed. But <laughs> here, here was the fun part. You would see strange combinations for tag teams, okay. like Vern Gagne teamed up with Harley Race or something. Yes, You'd never see that here. Yeah. But to answer Marcus's question, we had legitimate Japanese wrestlers that came through here, guys like the giant Baba. Oh, uh, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Tom, Tommy Saruta, Jumbo Saruta. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tanaru was another one. Shozo Kobayashi 
was another legitimate Japanese wrestler. We also had wrestlers that were not Japanese or 100% Japanese wrestle as Japanese. Well, how, how do you do that? Because well, there's a distinctive look, generally speaking. Well, let's take Kenji Shibuya. Yes. Kenji Shibuya was actually Hawaiian. <laughs> okay, well, that's okay. close enough. Close enough. And, and back, in the, <laughs> back in the 50s, when Robert Shibuya was wrestling... He decided that he could become, as they called him in those in that era, a dirty Jap. Oh, sure. Yeah. And they we're were not. Uh, don't take this personally, folks. No, That's they, the way it they, was. They were not politically were. correct, of, no. of course, in the 50s. And as I've said to Patrick, I can show you many wrestling programs that say so-and-so against dirty Japs. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it was. But Shibuya was a bad guy, and he was actually Hawaiian-born. Oh, yeah. And this was before Hawaii had I become a state. I saw him and Arakawa wrestle uh, O'Connor and Ganya, I believe it was O'Connor and Ganya. Okay. And uh, at the St. Paul Auditorium, or St. Paul Armory, maybe, with my dad and my Uncle Frank. And uh, my Uncle Frank was a kind of a prominent St. Paul guy, mechanic arts AD coach, and and my dad would root for the bad guys all the time and get the entire crowd beat, wanting to beat him up. That's but, where you get and, it from. And that was, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, but boy, they, Shibuya and Arakawa were not as big as the Kalmakovs, but they were big. Well, and here's the thing. In 1957, my very first wrestling match that I remember as a kid going to was Arakawa and Shibuya, the Japanese, against... The Kelmakoffs, the Russians. Oh, we didn't know who to root for. And I, my dad, I, I sat with my dad and I, I held my ears because the fans were booing for both teams. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, how come they hate them both? And my dad said, I hope they all kill each other. <laughs> but, but what you had to realize was it was that World War II oh, sentiment. Oh, Yeah, we you were know? still, we were a decade removed, but yes. we, we had so, not forgotten. And even though the Russia was not really our enemy in World War II, yeah, they but were they, were, they, were, they were still the hated Russians. And, you know, during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, wrestling just had a run of Japanese, Germans, and Russians yes. that were all over. I mean, there were tons of them. Mm-hmm. And they made money because they were always playing on that war sentiment. Yeah. Well, Hans Schmidt and who? Hans Schmidt, Hans Hermann, yeah. Baron von Raschke. They were Raschke. partners, right? Yep, they were partners. Hermann, yeah. um, you know, we had the Kurt and Karl von Brauner. Yeah. We had the von Steigers. We had the von I Strohans. always said that we'd gotten over World War II when I went to see the uh, cart at the St. Paul Auditorium later on and... Uh, uh, Baron Ron Roschke was the good guy, and the guy from the French Foreign Legion was the bad guy. I did, we, 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 we were cheering against the French in favor of the Nazis. Yeah, well, so. that's when Rene Goulet decided to join the French Foreign Legion. He yeah. was no longer from Nice, France. He was now from the French Foreign Legion. You know, we got another one here, sir. Let's go to Woodbury Larry. Woodbury Larry, what's up? Uh, it's funny, George, when you mention that Japanese fella playing a Hawaiian guy. You also mentioned the name Joe Scarpello earlier, the famous Italian who I believe ended up being Chief J. Strongbro. Uh, no, that is that is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Scarpello was a legitimate Italian amateur wrestler who teamed with Vern Gagne and looked a lot like Vern Gagne, a little bit smaller in stature. Mm-hmm. The guy you're thinking of was Joe Scarpa. Okay. And he was Joe Scarpa for the first 15 years of his career, held many titles, drew well in the South. But when Vince McMahon Sr. wanted an Indian up in uh, New York for the WWWF, 
He'd already had an Italian in Bruno San Martino, so Scarpa had to become Chief J. Strongbow, and he was an Indian. <laughs> and that's how he finished out his a career. Native, uh, a good so Native I understand American. how you got it mixed up, though, with Scarpello and Scarpa. Scarpa, see, that happens. Uh, luckily, we have George here oh straight out. Just think, this guy would have had to go around telling people right. that Joe Scarpello became Chief Strongbow, and he wasn't. One more before we take the break. Let's go to Paul. Paul, what's up? Hey, I'm just wondering, do you know much about uh, Playboy Buddy Rose? I know he went or broke in through Vern here back in the 70s. I sure do, and Buddy Rose was uh, really a good friend of mine. He started out working with Vern as Paul Pershman. He was trained by Vern and Billy Robinson. And after What's he, his real name? Paul Pershman. Pershman. Paul, okay. Paul, Paul Pershman. And when he left here... That ain't going to work in the ring, Well, man. when Paul he left Pershman. here, he went down to Texas, and it was Terry Funk that said, <laughs> you know, Pershman doesn't cut it. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to name you Playboy Buddy Rose. <laughs> and then he... He had a gimmick where he was kind of a rich playboy okay, and blonde yeah. hair. He bleached his hair Somebody, blonde. Did he have a valet lead him into the ring? He did or? at times. He yeah. did oh at times. But, yeah. but Playboy Buddy Rose, later in his, <laughs> in his years, he put on a lot, and I do mean a lot of weight. Oh. And he, he was still so good. Here was the thing about Buddy Rose. He had the advantage of not only training with Vern and Billy Robinson, but he had the opportunity to work with guys like Bachwinkle, Stevens, Dusty Rhodes, Dick Murdoch, Wahoo McDaniel, Larry Hennig. You can't help but get good when you're around yeah. that type of talent. And he made a big name for himself, uh, Buddy Rose did, in the Pacific Northwest. It's hard to be the playboy, though, if you get fat. Well, he still said, he, <laughs> even though he weighed about 271, his main gimmick was, I only weigh 217 pounds, <laughs> not 271. It's a typo. It's a typo. <laughs> and he always said, and he'd do that on an interview while eating a Hershey bar. <laughs> That's the true story. Right? Or, or and, and, and the old story was is that he'd be eating a chunk of cheese the size of a car battery. Okay. You know, Buddy Rose was great. <laughs> and he right. passed away a couple years ago, and he, he oh. was a good friend. It, all it's right. sad all to right. see. All right. <laughs> We'll be back. We got Ray Wiley Hubbard, the uh, great Texas uh, uh, Western country singer. And uh, coming up a little after 5 o'clock, he's at the Dakota Sunday night, but it's sold out. But we're having him on anyway because I love him. <laughs> uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard. This is a, this is the Summer Slam Jam, and we got a email question for George here. Uh, this is from Aaron. It says, Chris, can you ask George if Kurt Henning went straight from the AWA to the WWF and if, uh, and if he was the heavyweight champion at the time that he left? Thank you. Kurt Henning went right from the AWA to the WWF. He was the champion, and they had actually set up a match where he was going to lose to Nick with the threat that he was going to leave to the WWF at the time. Then it was worked out, and he stayed. But then he did eventually leave, and he had already lost the title. So to he Nick did, uh, to somebody else? He lost it to Jerry Lawler. Oh, okay. Jerry this, the King Lawler. This was in the AW. In the AW. How long was Lawler here? Was L- very Lawler, long. Well, by wrestling terms, he was in for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. But he was the champion for a while. And then Kurt was in the WWF. And they created the Mr. Perfect character, which was phenomenally great. Yeah. Now, where did, where did Lawler make his fame? He was, he was big in Memphis. Okay. That's where he did the oh, King, Jerry right. the King Hell Lawler. Yes. 
He, yeah. he, he was he he's was still, like he's, I mean, he's still not, huge there, he, and he he literally in that territory, the Memphis territory, he could sell out wherever he was, and the, he put the king. He had the crown that he wore, yeah, and he was like to, the king to wrestling, like Elvis yeah, was yeah, to right. music. That was the shtick, right? That was the shtick. And uh, yeah, he was uh, was he a talented guy? He was very good. You know, he, the bottom line is is that he wasn't a technical wrestler. But he was a great showman. He could carry a match well, and guys enjoyed working with him. And he'd come here in 83, maybe? He was here. Uh, the first time he came here was actually in 81 for a couple of appearances, mm-hmm. and then he left until 83, 84. So what would uh, would it be just, okay, I'm getting a little stale in Memphis. I better go to, to Minneapolis well, and get after a the wrestling nice checks. After the wrestling war started, these guys were branching out a little bit more okay. and trying, you know, going into different territories. A lot of them wanted to fight Vince. Mm-hmm. For his takeover, yeah, and if or either that or they wanted to be with Vince. I mean, it uh-huh. was a twofold problem. So uh, Vern and Jerry Jarrett, who was the promoter in Memphis, had worked together with Jerry Lawler, and when they put the title on Jerry Lawler, the idea was is that Jer- Jerry would carry the title for a while, but then they had a disagreement over a payoff. Mm-hmm. Jerry basically left with the title and. They had to come up with a new alternative. Uh, real quick, uh, Black. who was Blackwell? When was Blackwell here, and who was his partner? Jerry Blackwell was here in, started, came here in 79, 80. Okay, yeah. And then he was here till pretty much the end of his career. He came in and got under the influence of Sheik Adnan Al Casey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. When, he was a, he'd be wore the robes. Yeah, he became, he became he Jerry Ayatollah right? Blackwell. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Ayatollah yeah. Blackwell. You know, I think they were taking a little advantage of the political situation oh, yeah. at that time, too. Oh, yeah, they right? think so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Well, uh, what would what political? I don't think they're they can't use the politics to to, to use the good guys anymore though, can they? They don't really do that. I don't think. Like I don't follow would, today's product enough you know, to tell would, you that. Like somebody representing China in the trade wars or something yeah. like that would not. We don't do that anymore. Here comes Tony the terrorist. That's that. That is something that's missing. By the way, the guys, you know. That's the nice thing about war. You got somebody to hate. <laughs> well, that's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, it. it's, uh, it's, I'm not in favor of it, <laughs> right. but, uh, you know, it certainly well, you came know, in when, handy. When we had the Gulf Coast crisis yeah. in 91, oh, sure, yeah. Sheik Adnan Al Casey became Sheik Adnan. Okay, that's right. We got to run. All right, George, thanks. We'll be back in about 20 minutes with George. We got uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard coming. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.